Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. Oh, every time I do... I, <clears throat> hello. You are now live. Good, thank you. Every time I um, become motivated uh, to do the thumbnail, I always think I should do something in the thumbnail. Otherwise, it's just me just staring at the thing. And then I'm like, quickly, quickly, do something. And my default setting is to always try and look shocked. I think that's, I think that's funny. So I'll go, oh, oh. <laughs> I think that's a funny face. It's childish. Um, you should not listen to me about stuff. Childish, childish, it's childish, childishness. So um, straight into it. <clears throat> um, the coaches told me today that they've had emails from people who are confused about what the free course is available from SpartanLifeCoach.com. Is it about narcissistic abuse? No. The free course that is available from SpartanLifeCoach.com that's going to be relevant for this little live chat is called How to Stop an Emotional Flashback. And it's free. How do you get it? You go to the homepage, you put in your email, and then via the magic of the cyberwebs, a course is, uh, is, is laid upon you. It, um, it is inflicted upon your email inbox. Um, so... That's how you get the course. It's not about anything else other than stopping emotional flashbacks, which will be quite important um, for this topic today. Codependency has become part of the lingo in the, I don't know, you know we've got people from, it's, it's stupid to say this is all about emotional abuse survivors forums now. That was not stupid, it's just not true. We've got people from psychology. We've got people people coming from um, various mental health areas, PTSD, CPTSD, um, many, many things. There's people here because they were looking at material about ADHD. Um, somebody told me the other day. It's like there's, there's the support groups who watch my stuff, even though I don't really address ADHD directly, other than by talking about CPTSD and uh, I'm referencing Pete Walker. Um, but we have this uh, agreed bit of jargon called codependency. Footnote, um, this is jargon. It is a reductive term. It's probably not quite correct to use, strictly speaking, codependency um, in its origins is a term from Alcoholics Anonymous, and it refers to the person who um, enables the person in their addictive and negative patterns of, of behavior. Um, addictive patterns of behavior. So, you know, codependency to the extent that narcissism and, and uh, the emotionally abusive paradigm, the predatory paradigm is, is an addictive cycle. Maybe it could be used. It's actually more true to say fawn response, but if people are not au fait with Pete Walker, Om Walker Namaya, Om Walker Namaya, Om Walker Namaya, and his work, his book, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving, which is a book you must read. And I say, Fawn, like every, most people know what codependency is. It's a layperson's term. You go, oh, you're in a codependent relationship. Like, oh yeah, I kind of get what that is. If I say you're in a neurotic fawn response, you'd be like, a fawn, like Mr. Tomnus, like Mr. Tomnus from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like Mr. Fawn, kind of, <laughs> but no. Um, so, but those of you who are au fait with the language know it's a fawning response. It's a self deprecating, submissive, supplica supplicatory response in the hopes of, by, by bowing 
more deeply before the tyrannical predator that you can ensure your survival or negotiate for less of you to be consumed today. Breaking that is difficult because it is a childhood traumatic response. Codependency, I believe, my hypothesis um, goes beyond a 4F trauma response, but it is also part of a 4F trauma response. The four Fs are fight, freeze, flawn, and fiddly sticks. Where if a predator jumps out, you pick up a fiddle and you go, and you do a little jig and then you run away. And they go, oh, you're adorable. You're beautiful. Thank you for that little dance. Fight, fawn, freeze, and flight are the four Fs. These are the uh, they're primordial, they're biological, they're evolutionary, they're lizard brain um, responses to threat. You're forced into a lizard brain response to threat in childhood through terror, through being terrorized by a tyrannical predatory um, parent. It is a 4F response. So if we want to crack codependency, we have to deal with our emotional flashbacks. We have to get the stop emotional flashback course, or you go with somebody who can help you, whatever methodology helps you to become more aware of your emotional flashbacks and to reduce their intensity and to reduce their frequency. The course that I have does help people to do that. Um, some people get caught up on the fact that it's a mnemonic that is done on fingers and uh, they find that humiliating um, to which I say, get the fuck out of yourself. Just do it. Just fucking do it. Don't be, don't bring your stupid fat ego here. You're in trouble. You need help. Um, it's the kind of, it was designed very consciously the way I would design techniques for 15 and, and 16 year olds back in the day. It's easy to remember. It's cartoonish. And it is delivered at adolescent level using fairly adolescent language and concepts quite deliberately. Whether you like it or not, you know, I've heard people online saying, I don't want to be tapping on my fingers or pulling on my fingers. I'm like, well, do something else then. But you must remember, you've got to break your unconscious patterns. It's the only way, because right now the emotional flashback is an unconscious pattern. It's part of how you live your daily life. So I have to seek to inflict upon you some sort of a pattern interrupt, which is why the Stop Emotional Flashback course is designed the way it is. The good news with that is if you can get past the fact that you're tapping your fingers um, and you can actually get on with it and do it, you'll get really, really good results and you get very, very good results very quickly. People in the comments, please, if you've had good results, give people a time frame for, for how quickly you got results. Like, because I know that people are time orientated and if you can say to them, hey, I'm random YouTuber 00112, you've never heard of me, you don't know me, but I did actually use this and within about two weeks I started to see results, then, then it'll motivate people to actually jump on it, which is really good, we should be doing that. I think we already have the tech, I've made it free. Um, why not just do it, just, just use it. It will reduce the intensity and the frequency of the emotional flashbacks. Why do I say codependency goes beyond um, a 4F response though? Because I think 
becomes a fundamental way of relating to reality, not just a response to stress or an inflamed superego, it's actually how you relate. Um, how should I put it? When we look at addictions, um, I've spoken on this channel about being addicted to, uh, to cocaine um, and spoken about being addicted to cigarettes. Um, I've been addicted to various things in my life. Cigarettes was quite hard to quit. Cocaine was really easy to quit. Um, I think the cigarettes were harder to quit because they're more socially acceptable. And they were at that time, like I was 21, so this is 20 years ago. And you could walk into a bar and spark up a cigarette, start smoking and have it with your drink. And it was totally fucking normal to do that. Totally, totally um, socially acceptable to do it. Cocaine wasn't. And so it was basically removing a stressor from the environment because it's stressful to, to, to and expensive to take coke. Food, however, of all these addictions, people tell you cocaine is difficult. People tell you smoking is difficult. I think food has been one of the hardest addictions um, to break in my life. And I wouldn't even say that I've broken it. I would say that all I've been able to really do is to regulate it. Why? Here we are meandering, staggering, mumbling towards my point. I have one, believe it or not. It happens every once in a while. I have a point. You must eat every day. Cocaine, you can just stop. Smoking, you just stop. But you have to eat every day. Like, the system doesn't function very well. Sans food. <laughs> you just, like, you just sort of become, like, you know, an energizer bunny with a low-functioning battery on it. It'll just fall down. And uh, apparently, yeah, death is the is the end result. If you keep not eating for many days, then uh, you, you get very, very sick. Um, you get quite painful illnesses, and then you die. So, um... Not that fasting isn't great. Somebody in the comments will be like, yeah, everybody should fast. Yeah, okay, fasting is great. That's good, great. The point was that you have to do it every day. Fawning in civilized life is something you have to do every day. Freezing is not. Flighting is not. Fighting is not. Civilized society requires that you do it every day. So if you're addicted to food, you can go to your grandma house and be offered cake. It's unlikely you go to your grandma house and be offered a fat line of the finest Peruvian flake, right? Unless you have very special grandma. <laughs> so she's going to say eat cake because I love you and this is a show of my love. And then you, somebody's going to have a birthday or they're going to have a leaving party and people get together and they'll eat food together because that's what we like to do as humans. It's a, a fine tribal pastime is to eat food. And you must do it every day. Similarly, you must fawn every day in a civilized society. You can't, you must, well, one should be polite. One should hold doors open for people. One should say, good morning, how are you, when you really can't be asked to do that. So you're compelled to fawn. And that is one of the problems with codependency that makes codependency quite difficult is you're even as you're pulling out of the addiction you're being offered little sprinkles of cocaine throughout the day that you have to partake of so then what becomes necessary is a um uh, a stronger boundary around the belief system and the behavior 
so that you have to have a very very clear inside your mind that like i'm doing this and i'm fawning on my terms on my terms i went to a meeting of um men who were struggling to get access to their uh, children recently and the subject went around to red pill philosophy and MGTOW philosophy and there, the, the the thing came up of holding doors open as men holding doors open for women and um i said to them and the guy who was who, who was his group who was running the group was a little bit territorial i think i won him over this one i was like i do it i do it still i'll never stop I do it for, for, for men as well, um, but I'm, I'm conscious of doing it for women and I'll never stop because I'm doing it on my terms and I want to do that. I choose to do that. So I'm neither compelled to do it, nor will I sulkily, resentfully be compelled not to do it. I want to do it. I like to do it. And so I do it. And no external injunction or internal interject shall stop me because non-servium and uh, he liked that he thought that was a good thing that's a boundary between a belief system that needs a boundary placing around it and a behavior so that you can engage in a behavior without it becoming neurotic i don't have a better word for neurotic at the moment i was talking to somebody the other day and i was aware that I do talk about mental health issues and a lot of people don't feel that like they have mental health issues and they feel weird about it. Whereas to me, I'm like, oh yeah, everybody's got mental health issues. I wouldn't worry. Like, look, I just say it. But some people are like, whoa. And they certainly don't want to think in terms of childhood trauma because that's really fucking weird, frightening and alien. So I do have to, I will try to moderate my language um, in the future. Not right now. There's still stuff that this project needs to finish off. You can't get halfway through a story and not finish it off. Um, before I can do that. But the uh, codependency issue, you've got to watch for when it is neurotic. Okay, we don't like the word neurotic. I don't have a better word for it. The other word that I use for it is not sane. But then if I say not sane, then I'll say you're doing something that's insane. And then that'll be even more of a wind up than saying it's neurotic. But in the literature, um, neurotic would be just born of neurosis, multiple tiny neuroses. It's very, when it's your everyday bread, when it's your, it's your job every day, you're looking at neuroses, you're looking at mental health issues. You're like, you can get dismissive. You go, oh, you've got a little bit of a neurosis around that. Don't, that's nothing. People be like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> so it's a neurotic. It can be a neurotic response. And we don't want that. We don't want it to be a not sane response. We want it to be a sane response, sane. A sovereign response. The final element that I think makes codependency tough to um, crack is um, its relation. Well, codependency is actually a manifestation, a broad manifestation of a trauma response, a global manifestation of a trauma response, which is fawning. The other thing that makes the fawning and codependency issue that's in together that will make you feel way you will be able to give up being angry you'll be able to give up association you'll be able to give up running away you'll be able to give up your workaholism you'll be able to give up drugs but you'll find it way way harder to not supplicate to a significant other if you were raised in that kind of tyrannical abusive boundary breaking relationship with primary objects in your childhood love is the key issue here codependency is an issue of love and it's an issue of securing love now, towards the end of Pete Walker's book, On Walker Namaya, On Walker Namaya, 
um he does say and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a zen kwan really it's a bit of a thing that you need to walk away with and think about that the four f's in a certain sense this is black belt stuff now this is not for white belts don't listen to what i'm about to say because you just be like what the fuck in a certain sense the four f trauma responses are a means of securing love they're an attempt to secure love fighting as a fight response you bully love out of people um freezing flighting you can fantasize love into or out of people you can coerce them by weaponizing your moods or blah 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 cptsd tends to make people manipulative unfortunately and to go around the houses and to have a propensity towards not being open brave and honest about what they want with themselves and with others because we were raised in an environment where love was this precious very limited resource that flickered on and off that was sometimes there and sometimes wasn't and sometimes the source of love could also be a source of life-threatening danger sometimes the source of love would also be the source of terror these are very very confusing messages for a young growing uh, brain for a young growing central nervous system when all of these associations are being made they're going i want love i want mommy to love me but sometimes when i run to her she loves me and sometimes she slaps me and sometimes she screams at me and sometimes she shames me and sometimes, sometimes, you know, whatever. It's a, it's, it's not a consistent thing. So the codependent fawn response will go deep and will cling. I, I claim, I claim it will, it will try to sit in you. As deeply as it can because not only is it a means of securing love it's a means of safety and to not do it is really to let go of the life raft it's really really to let go of the of the life ring that you've been clinging on to since childhood you're in freezing seas because you were on the titanic and it crashed and sank but it happened so long ago you don't remember you just think life is freezing seas and uh, God help the people who are not English speakers at this point. I'm saying freezing as in cold, as in seas, as in the oceans. El mar. <laughs> Moy frio. Um, which is why the cluster B personality disorders are, are hard or impossible to remove because you're talking to uh, a traumatized, terrorized child who's clinging on to one thing in an environment that they still perceive as being extremely hostile and extremely dangerous. And what do we do? People with CPTSD, we go and find environments that are very, very hostile and very, very dangerous. It's annoying me that my chin is not in shot. The chin is important. How to do that? Stop the emotional flashbacks, raise the awareness of what you're doing and in a certain sense, I like solutions that are bordering on so simple that they're almost dumb. So I just said, codependency, the fawn response when it's extremely pronounced, extremely neurotic, extremely global in an individual, as it is in me, is actually an around the houses endeavor to not ask for what you want openly and with bravery. 
because you're frightened or the inner child or that wounded part of you is frightened of the consequences of asking for what you want because you've experienced shame, rejection, humiliation, perhaps even, you know, uh, physical uh, torture as a result of asking for what you want. So our job then becomes, because this year, this is the year of trying to, trying to tackle codependency and trying to eradicate it is to in, uh, enforce certain disciplines within yourself and to relate to the world in a new way that you haven't done before. And then what happens is you will trigger <laughs> a series of probably cascading emotional flashbacks. So you already need to be quite high level. You need to be at like above your blue belt. You need to be a brown and black belt in CPTSD recovery. You need to have a good, strong hold on your emotional flashbacks. You need to have a good, uh, strong relationship um, with yourself. And um, you need to be aware of, of, of what can happen when you flip the switch and you use the dumb solution. The problem is you're trying to get what you want without asking for it openly and directly. Or you're trying to when you do ask for what you want, hear me now, people of CPTSD, when you do ask for what you want, your rejection from the person you're asking it from is already born in the asking of it. You're trying to protect yourself from the rejection by not asking for it fully, properly, and earnestly. And we all do this. It's kind of a game that we play with ourselves. It's like around the houses. We're playing hide and seek with ourselves. So you're asking for what you want in a way that almost guarantees you won't get it. And you're asking for what you want from somebody who it is guaranteed because you've already checked them out, can't give it to you. So then when you don't get what it is that you wanted and are rejected, you're still in control you're still somewhere in some sense in control of the game. I knew this would happen. I knew he would do this. I knew she would act this way eventually. I knew this would happen. I'm still in control. It's not real vulnerability. I'm not saying, you know, hey, everybody, just take off your armor and be vulnerable. It's, it's not time for that right now. What I am saying is you've got to recognize that game and then you've got to be willing to stop playing it. So you've got to ask for what you want and then you have to look for another dumb solution. What's another problem that we can say has a big, dumb, straightforward solution? Another problem with codependency is we do what everybody else wants before we do what we want. In fact, we're so good at doing what everybody else wants, we never get around to doing what we want. And that gets so bad over the years that we forget what we want. Okay, so big, dumb answer. Find out what it is that you actually want and then start doing it. But remember, I warned you, this is the kind of thing that can trigger emotional flashbacks. My hypothesis, my personal idea, if I bloody get round to writing a book, this will go in the book and then I'll go, I wrote that in 2019. That shit is mine. I actually wrote it two years ago, which is, I just haven't got around to doing it. I wrote this concept two years ago and some of you are already aware of it, where I said that I think the model that we currently use for CPTSD is a little bit off. We've not made, we've made a, too much of emotional flashbacks. I said this in the summer of two years ago. 
of 2017, we've made too much of emotional flashbacks and not enough of the superego, also called the inner critic, also known as Steve, uh, Spartan Life Coach Steve, refuses to say inner critic now. He's just like, I'm not using that term anymore. It sounds too, it's too grand. It affords that part of you too much authority. He's changed it slightly to inner criticizer. It's a bit better. It's a, it's like a, you know, um, a linguistic reframe that's a, bit, that's a bit better. That part of you that mocks you, that part of you that shames you, that part of you that humiliates you, that actually, that part of us is also triggering the uh, emotional flashbacks. And I think just as much, if not more, than the external world. You see a red post box. I don't know, your grandfather hit you with a red bag. Oh, sorry, um, it's the best I could come up with. And so you see a red post box, the association is made non-consciously and then you're in an emotional flashback. Okay, yes, I think sometimes that happens, but I think more often than not, it's the superego. It's the superego. Um, I'm not gonna explain the, the, the what the superego and the inner critic is here. I've done that extensively in other videos and it'll bore the pants off people who already know. So you'll need to watch other videos to see what the superego is. But if you're seeking to recover from CPTSD, you've got to deal with the superego. When you look at what it is you want, start asking for what you want from the people who can give it to you and start moving towards what you want, it's, it's tough. It gets hard. Um, Obviously, as ever, this is the year that I want to find out how to crack codependency. The first test subject is me. Um, I wasn't prepared for it. And the emotional flashbacks um, that, well, first of all, first of all, first of all, don't do what I do because I'm a fucking nutter and I do everything to an extreme just to see what happens. <laughs> Do so, don't do what I do. Do this, do everything very gently, very organically. Take your time and do the um, emotional literacy exercise as you're slowly and gently, as you would in yoga. You wouldn't fling yourself into a pose and just pop your hip out of joint, you would melt into the pose slowly over months. I didn't do that, but I didn't know, I didn't know what the effect would be. Um, and it actually made me physically sick. Um, fortunately, not in a particularly bad way, but uh, sick in the um, sick in the stomach, nauseous um, a, a number of times. I realised I was getting nauseous, and I never, I never get sick. I never feel nauseous. And I was like, ah, it's as I'm doing this work, and I suspect I'm going to use more psychobabble jargon. I think it is a somatization of repressed emotions. I think actually. Um, asking for what I want makes me highly, highly, highly anxious, but I'm so used to keeping a cool veneer that all that anxiety gets pushed down and then it manifested as a, as nausea. So I'll try the dumb stuff first on me, get it wrong so that you won't do that. Um, but yeah, I think I was somatizing, uh, uh, somatizing, no somatizing, 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 uh, emotion. Um, so you want to do it slowly and you want to do it very, very carefully. Um, but you must at some point embrace the notion that, well, you must, no, you mustn't, there's nothing you must do. You could embrace the notion 
that whilst you're not living in accordance with your own values and whilst you're living for what other people want, you're not really living because it's not really your life. That's really somebody else's life and somebody else's paradigms, somebody else's coordinates. And would you like to live your own life? The flip side of the nausea and the um, what I think was repressed anxiety um, is... I don't really know how to put it in words. Um, when I first started cracking the emotional flashbacks hard, I experienced that release from that as a kind of euphoria um, that I said at the time was like what I think I used to take cocaine for. I used to take cocaine because I didn't feel this um, connectivity and aliveness and euphoria. I think I was like numbed, I think bored, numbed, frozen. And so that would be like a little spike, a little high. And then when I cracked this the CPTSD thing a little harder, I was like, wow, this is what I was looking for the whole time. This is not that, but it's like that. Um, well, just imagine it. Just imagine you're living a life for someone else. You're wearing the clothes they want you to wear. You're listening to the music they want you to listen to. You're, you're doing the things that they want you to do. And then one day you just stop and do something else and you do what you want to do. You, I, I don't need to labor that point, do I? I mean, like you can imagine how that feels. It feels good. It feels natural. It feels right. But we're so used to, and this is why it's hard to put in words, we're so used to cramping down into a little pigeonhole, somebody else's, and then whilst we're cramped into that little pigeonhole, just like holding other people's burdens, because that's what fawning codependents do. That's what that's what we're, that's our neurotic pattern, is to do that. So we're so used to doing that that when you're not doing that, um, obviously it's going to feel pretty good. So that's the direction. And that's my advice. Reduce the emotional flashbacks. Find out what it is that you want to do. And then gently and very organically, having heeded my warnings that if you're a lifelong codependent, a lifelong phone responder, and you start doing what you want to do, the reason it creates a cascading series of emotional flashbacks that I come, I think comes straight from the superego is because you're breaking a fundamental taboo. It's the most verboten. It's the most haram, um, forbidden thing. The ultimate thou shalt not. You're breaking the, uh, the, the, um, the tablets, the stone tablets upon which the commandments have been written. You're breaking them. And the superego, which is that colonized part of the personality that represents bad mommy, bad daddy, um, bad authority figure from childhood, will scream in rage to try and get you to resubmit and will terrify you with emotional flashbacks. That is my my personal hypothesis of, of, of how the superego actually works. It's like a, a, a parasitical entity that sits in the personality, 
I was going to say consciousness, but it's actually, it is part of the personality. And I think it's exactly as Freud described it. I think it's exactly, Freud was 100% correct on that and seeks to control you. That's what the interjects are for. That's why it talks to you in that way, because it's trying to control you. It's trying to keep you submissive. It's like an onboard slave master. It's an onboard slave master. You start drifting away from the field. You put down your tools and they'll come over or she'll come over and go, what are you doing? Nothing. Do you want to get fucking whipped? No. Are you sassing me? No. <laughs> Do you want a bit of this? And then you get, you know, like um, Emperor Palpatine in, uh, in Star Wars with the, the electricity out of the fingers. <laughs> fucking behave yourself. Get back to work. You don't. You don't raise your head up. You don't put your you don't put your your tools down. You just fucking stay working. That's what you do. You stay there. So that that um, enslavement protocol will kick in, and it kicks the punishment is vile interjects. You know, foul mouthed, really strong, really unfair, vicious criticism of the self. And your actions and how worthless you are and how pointless you are, how stupid you are, blah, 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 blah. Um, enforced with uh, pain, uh, emotional pain, uh, anxiety, uh, depression, um, rage, you know, all of this that is has a real world cost. It's not just that you're internalizing some shitstorm. It's that you then don't function as well in the world anymore. You struggle to go to work, you struggle to go to shops, you struggle to go to university, you struggle to make friends. That's a real world cost. It's a, it's a, it's a really serious issue. So be careful and prepare first. If you're gonna try and escape, you better be well prepared because that part of you that hijacked colonized part of you is going to punish you for trying to escape and trying to break the taboo which is you know it starts with like fuck you i'm i don't know I, I don't have to I don't, I don't have to do it i don't have to do what you say and then you see how bad it is and then you survive it and then you go back around again and maybe you go back to slavery and then and you go i'm gonna i'm gonna try this again I'm going to try a little harder this time. And then the next time, so, you know, fuck you. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I don't have to serve at the behest of other people. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I want to live my own life. And then you get punished and you go back around again. It's organic. It's an organic process. It's not an either or ones and zeros binary. You either are it or you're not. It's going to take time. It's going to take time and it's going to be testing. And you're going to have to be very, very strong. You're going to have to be very, very disciplined and very, very tough um, to deal with it. Because the one thing I can guarantee is, is that it will be confusing and painful. But the payoff is you get your life back. And the punishment is, or the, or the, the, the downside is, like you continue to live as you have been. Why am I so focused on codependency this, this year? Why have I like, right, I'm cracking this shit? Simply because some smart ass in the world of psychology said to me, or I read it, and I imagine they said it to me in my solipsistic narcissism. Jung said to me the other day, I said, all right, Carl, lad, sit down, have a brew, kidder. 
And he went, oh, well, you know, fella, um, the last 10 years of your life, how did they look? What were your relationships like? What was your work like? What was your health like? All the numbers, all the mathematics, all the statistics indicate that the next 10 years of your life will look exactly the same. And I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> I didn't want that. And I know that I definitely, definitely don't want that. So how do you escape the, the numbers? How do you escape the statistics? Deep, deep fundamental change. What's deep, deep fundamental change? Deep fundamental change is actually dealing with the emotional flashbacks, dealing with the pain, and dealing with this neurotic, addictive habit of ex eradicating yourself, sacrificing yourself for the needs of other people. It's a habit. It's an addiction. It's a neurotic response to intimacy. And in our own way, um, as codependents, we're passively very controlling. We, but we don't know it. We have no idea how manipulative we are. Because what's the opposite of being manipulative? What is the opposite of being manipulative? The opposite of being manipulative is being honest and saying what you want and saying to people, this is what I want from you right now. So please, can you give that to me? Because that's what I need. The opposite of that is to try and sneak your way around it or to force your way around it or to manipulate your way around it. So these are important things. If anybody has any questions, now's a good time to ask me. Somebody started with a question, question and question mark. I like that. Question, how do you really feel about me? I bought my own diamonds and I bought my own rings. Question. I'm ready to move on. What? Listen, there's only so much seriousness I can do. And then it's time for Beyonce. Uh, I'm ready to move on. Almost. Uh, oh, bollocks. Great. I said ask a question and the comments blew up. <laughs> I'm ready to move on. Almost three years after the end of a 20-year plus relationship. But... I feel guilty about his feelings. Is this common? I don't feel trauma bonded, hence my confusion. Thanks, Richard. Um, guilt in this context would be an emotional flashback. Um, so you are, I don't know, I think I said it in the last live that I did, where we're lured, lured, L-U-R-E-D, into abusive relationships because of our emotional flashbacks. We stay in the relationships uh, even when we see the red flags because of our emotional flashbacks. And then we fail to leave until years after we know we should do because of our emotional flashbacks. Your predominant emotional flashback is guilt because you're a guilty person because it's very easy to make you feel guilty. And it always has been. It's your mum that did it. She was a guilt tripper. I don't know that it's your mum. I, like, I just like acting like I'm psychic. I can see your mother now. Oh, she was a very demanding lady. She used a lot of guilt on you, didn't she, my love? She did. A lot of guilt. It's time for you to let that go. The spirits are telling me. It's time for you to tell her something, my love. They've got a message for you to give her. Fuck off. <laughs> um, yeah, guilt. Uh, it's an emotional flashback. So you're going to have to work on your emotional flashbacks. And think of it like reverse the flow. Think of it like this. It's, it's a hard way to think about it, but it's useful. It's a weird way of thinking about it. It's useful. You feeling guilty is your way of avoiding your real feelings about the situation because they're worse. So if I did emotional literacy work with you, 
what would I find? Would I find rage? Would I find rage? Would you be fucking furious at the time that was wasted and the liberties that were taken with your good nature? Probably. So you might be feeling guilty um, to avoid feeling uh, enraged. Um, Annie says, is tending to get in relationships with people who take advantage of me. First men, then after I realized that dynamic, new friends. So with men and with women, a sign of fawning response or just naive trust. Um, well, they're both on the same spectrum. Like I've talked about people pleaser syndrome, um, having like a hyper naive component to it. Um, but people pleaser syndrome is the same as a, a codependent fawning response. So it's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, if you find yourself in the same place over and over again, it might be because that's where you feel comfortable, you know, uh, even if it's uncomfortable, you might be comfortable in your discomfort. You might be most comfortable when somebody is taking the piss out of you or abusing you. When we do things over and over again, when we do things, I turn my face away from the microphone. When we do things over and over again that we know are not good for us, even after we've consciously decided that they're not good for us, it's always worth exploring if that pattern of behavior was entrained in childhood. Was it your mom? The Ancient Lantern, thank you for moderating today. Please feel free to um, ask a question as well as moderating. You also should get benefit from being here. And you should be given cake. The Ancient Lantern has asked a question. Richard, capital letters, Richard, Richard. I think I just gave myself an emotional flashback. Richard. <laughs> Did you watch? That's Patricia Rootledge, that chief from Birkenhead as well. Did you watch or are you even interested in watching the Peterson versus Zizek debate? I did watch it, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I was going to do a video on it and then I thought, oh, I've probably got other stuff to be talking about really that's that's more important. And um, what, what can you say? What can you say other than that? Yet again, if you stick Jordan Peterson in front of a true intellectual he ends up looking clever, very clever, very bright, but he's not, you know, he's just, he's just not, he's just not at that level. He just isn't at that level. Um, but as a debate, at some points I was listening to it and I'm like, I'm not even sure that this is a debate. It's two guys talking around a subject. Um, there were moments, I was listening to it on a drive, beautiful drive. Friggin' hell, I was on a drive up from London to Liverpool. Sunny day, main roads had closed, and it was around um, home time. What do you call it? Office kick-out time, five o'clock in the afternoon. And it sent me up through uh, Cheshire, which is countryside. What a fucking fantastic. What a, it was a disaster. It added like an hour and a half to my journey, but fucking hell, it was beautiful. Sun was setting over the fields. I'm listening to uh, uh, Zizek and Peterson go at it. It was fantastic. Um, there were moments where it was a debate and where points were raised. And both, and both of them had uh, valid things to say. Uh, you know, you probably witnessed on this channel my 
disappointment with uh, Jordan Peterson grow over time with him doing and saying things like I defended him saying there's no way he would tell a room full of students that they should work on becoming more psychopathic and then somebody quietly sent me a video and said here's him actually doing that and I was like wow wow what the fucking hell why would anybody do that to a room full of kids who are raised in a culture that's already encouraging them to be psychopathic you know if I was a paranoid if I was Alex Jones I'd be like he's on the other team he's just he's just purely funded by working for the other team let's make these kids narcissistic psychopaths. And I speak to Sam Backham about um, Peterson and about uh, Gisek fairly regularly. And he, Sam keeps up with Peterson's online behavior, like on Instagram. And um, it's incredible what's happening. It's absolutely fucking incredible. Um, it's not that the guy doesn't have anything to say. It's that I don't see how he's still being taken seriously. I can see how he was being taken seriously, but I don't see how anybody's taking him seriously now. He doesn't even know the words he's using. He's demonstrated publicly. Even, even his understanding of personality disorders is shaky. Now, he's a professor of psychology who specializes, according to his Wikipedia page, he specializes in personality disorders, but he says stuff. And it's like, that's not, that's not in the research. Where the fucking hell is he getting that from? He, he talks to adults and professors and intellectuals, genuine intellectuals, as though he's talking to a room full of naive 18-year-olds. He does it way too much, and he doesn't understand the language he's using. This came up in the debate, and I've saved it. I have the timeline of when it comes up. If I can be asked to do the videos, I'll, I'll, I'll post a clip um, where Zizek challenges him and says, you know, why do you insist on conflating the terms Marxist, postmodernist, and radical left. Peterson's been doing this for years, and nobody's told. Well, somebody did tell him. I think eventually somebody did tell him. For years, he was using the term postmodernism completely wrong, completely incorrectly, um, and then altered it to the radical left. And he defended it very weakly in the Zizek debate by uh, word salading and saying his stock phrases are, well, it seems to me to be the case that what these people seem to be doing is, um, and he conflated uh, social justice warrior culture, the radical left, postmodernism, and Marxism, and basically, and said, in my view, and you may not agree with me, they're all the same thing. And I'm like, fuck, you know, that's, that's intellectual dishonesty at its finest. Um, and it's also just, it's just not correct. When you are a professor and you're in a public space and you're debating with an intellectual and you've been uh, a real intellectual, you've been given a chance to prepare, you have to do better than that. Um, at the moment, he really is looking more and more like an ideologue every day. Um, so, yeah, I liked it, though. I mean, and, and, you know, he does say sometimes he'll say something and I'll go, you can't argue with that. And Zizek says, you know, it's a good point. He raises good points. He's not a stupid man. He's not a stupid man. I still don't, I still feel um, agenda and I don't know what the agenda is, but I know I, I, everything in me is saying the guy has an agenda, but he just hasn't revealed it yet. And it's not what stupid people have been saying. Like it's not as, it's not simple. You can't just put him in a camp and go, oh, he's, he's secretly, he's alt-right. It's, no, I'm afraid not.
I think if there is an agenda, it's it's much more individualized than about supporting a group. I, I think he couldn't give two shits about the alt-right. I think Jordan Peterson cares about Jordan Peterson. He has he is looking as though he may have developed um a, a messianic uh, complex. So yeah, but I'll get I'll get into that more elsewhere. We should probably I should try and stick on target. Plus when I say stuff like that now, you just get like I get hammered in the comments by um, people who are on that team. It's all about teams. Huh. Frolicking Elf asks, question, do you offer a $500 bracelet to ward off negative energies? <laughs> who are you, Frolicking Elf? Did I meet you at a retreat recently? <laughs> I was at a retreat uh, where... where Yes, people were offering expensive bracelets and jewelry to ward off negative energies. Not sure if it was $500. I don't know how much they were, but I didn't get involved. I was like, fucking hell. What can you tell me about my trauma from my credit card numbers and social insurance numbers? <sighs> yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what... Um... Yeah, I don't know what to say. We've all done it. I mean, we've all spent money on stuff that we shouldn't have done, and we've all, we've all been sucked in, I think. Um, to a degree by 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 people at, at some point the sad thing is i the, the impression i got if you are if this is like a, a snide comment because i don't know you i don't know if you if you were there um i actually think that on the whole uh the people running that thing and the people attending that thing were were, were, were nice people of, of of good intent um but yeah some of it was just wow it was it was off the charts really really wacky uh, Kate Nadine. Oh. Mm, I can't really answer questions like that about my family. Um, it just, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be right. It just, it just, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta draw a line. You've got to draw a line somewhere. Um, you go on to say, only two out of my 10 siblings are really messed up. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to do a comparison. My family, your family. I don't I don't know you and it's it's icky. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't really know. I don't know enough uh, about your situation to comment. And I don't I don't want to say anything about about my own family in, in that way. I, uh, I hope you understand. Ask me about anything else. Anything else I'm more than happy to answer. How do I deal with self-imposed guilt? From something I did as an adult, and now I've been in an unhealthy relationship since. Jeez, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe see somebody about that and talk to them about it. Um, I don't know what it is. So, I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, if it's something that you did as an adult, I guess one common sense piece of advice would be to do as much as you can to make up for it with the people who are involved um, by talking to them. And then once you've done as much as you can in that regard, in the external world, you can move internally and just try and find a way to, uh, to forgive yourself. Do you think fatigue can be an emotional flashback? Certainly. Certainly, there is a there is a growing body of evidence that there are illnesses that are fatigue focused, that are um, 
highly, highly correlated with uh, emotional abuse and CPTSD. So yeah, uh, it could be a, a fatigue, it could be an emotional flashback. Fatigue could be a full-blown and central nervous system uh, shutdown as a result of emotional flashbacks. And therefore the healing of them would be through looking at the emotional flashbacks. What's your take on psychosomatics? I've forgotten what they are. I'm having a moment. I have completely fucking forgotten what a psychosomatic is. <laughs> I'm about to burn this on alive. <laughs> uh, psycho, mind, soma, body. Psycho, psychosomatic. I can't. I can't remember what they are. Sorry. Psychosomatic drugs. What the fuck is a psychosomatic drug? I know what a psychosomatic disorder is. A psychosomatic. Do you mean placebos? Are you talking about placebos? You'll, you'll need to tell me what you mean. I think the reason I forgot what a psychosomatic drug is, is because I've never known what a psychosomatic drug is. I know what a psychosomatic condition is, but I don't know what a psychosomatic drug is. Um, how do we prepare, Richie? Question mark. You mentioned to prepare when dealing with emotional flashbacks, facing the inner critic. Um, you should be doing your work, which you've been given again and again and again. <laughs> you got to do your stopping the emotional flashback work and your emotional literacy. And uh, when you feel like you've made progress with that, then I would look at um, uh, the big dumb solutions to codependency, asking for what you want, figuring out what you want, and then and then moving towards it. Oopa. Okay, I'm going to try and catch up with where, where everybody is. Psychosomatic drug inhibits or imitates a chemical? Question mark. Can't remember. Old man Bob says, I take Viagra every single day, just in case. Just in case of what? Every single day? <laughs> You're a lucky man, old man Bob. <laughs> Is a psychosomatic response to a placebo? Question mark. I'm not asking. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, she, she's going to tell us. Uh, Ashley Noel asks, I wonder, is it viable to focus massage therapist practice to somatic um, depression? Um, my sister uh, does that kind of body work with people. Um, she she's, lives in Southern California, if anybody wants to, um, to try it. Um, she's very, very skilled, um, very empathic person who you know, understands a lot about these kinds of issues. Donovan K, your face is too close. It's kind of the way my couch is set up. Ruthie says, psychosomatic drugs are not a thing. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was like, 
I, I went, I was like, psychosomatic drugs. No, I know what they are. And then my brain went, no, you don't. And I was like, how have I forgotten? You've never known. There's nothing to remember. There's no file marked psychosomatic drugs. I was like going through the file system going, why is this empty? Because it doesn't exist. Psychosomatic drugs. I, I think is I think you must mean placebo. Um must must be uh, must be a placebo. Old man Bob, are you trolling? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about your willy. <laughs> yeah, Kate Drew says it's still a placebo. Psychosomatic drug makes no sense. Yeah, it would be, it, it must be a placebo. Uh, Dolly13 Lou Limits says, Richard, how do I get your attention? You can ask me a question. Mariana Menendez, who's not Maria from Galicia, says, it's awesome to watch someone say, I don't know. Yeah. Does, uh, it's not hard to get me to say, I don't know. Just ask me about any personality disorder that's not within like the cluster B and watch me just go, don't know. <laughs> no idea. Don't know. Why didn't you learn? Don't know. Should be bothered. Was watching Netflix instead. Or was at the gym. Or was with my mates. Why didn't I study it? Don't know. There's probably a new series on about zombies or something. <laughs> uh, there's a new series out called Black Black Summer. Um, that's that's all right. Christopher Lindley says psychotropic. Yeah, it's, pro it's probably likely that, that the lady who asked the question meant psychotropic, not not psychosomatic. Um, I've tried psychotropics and got literally nothing off them. So I'm deeply cynical. I, I'm as cynical about that as I am about things like DMT and, and ayahuasca. I'm pretty convinced that people make more of them than, than, uh, than is really there. But I'm open to being proved wrong. Proven wrong. Do you speak English? Yes, I do. Okay, old man Bob, you have just put yourself in time out, sir. <laughs> okay. Question. Did you mention you made one of your courses free back at the beginning of the stream, says Ruthie. Yes, Ruthie, I did. The Stop Emotional Flashbacks course is available for free. And if you go to the homepage at spartanlifecoach.com and put in your email, you will get the Stop Emotional Flashbacks course via email for zero dollars and zero cents because it's free. Stop Emotional Flashback course. That's the only course that's free. How does one set boundaries when the overt and covert narc parents do not think the boundaries apply to them, such as the nature of narcissism? The boundaries that you set, first and foremost, are set with yourself. That's where all boundaries begin. A boundary is always a, a no. And the first person you need to be saying no to is, uh, is yourself. It would be an internal boundary.
Alicia asks, are all human needs fully addressed by the individual or are there needs that address socially? Are you trying to get me to answer your first year philosophy degree essay question? Are all human needs fully addressed by the individual or are there needs that are addressed socially? I have no idea and I'm not the person to, to ask. <laughs> How do I start? Ibrahim Matsenko asks, question. You don't need, everybody, guys, you don't need to write question before you ask a question. You can just write a question. I'll know it's a question by that weird thing. <laughs> Squiggle with a dot underneath it. <laughs> Unless you enjoy putting Beyonce in my head. Unless that's why you're doing it. You're going, question. Question. How do I start to identify emotions? I'm pretty confused. Um, a good way of doing it is to... Uh, go on to Google or your favorite search engine and look up uh, emotion color wheel. And then when you have a list, a clustered list of emotions in front of you, um, they will usually be clustered like these are the happy emotions, these are the sad emotions, these are the emotions that relate to fear, these are the emotions that relate to anger. Um, you could set yourself a goal of saying, um, what are three emotions that I felt today? You take your pen and you look at the whole of the cluster and you go, well, I kind of felt happy. What else did I feel that was like more than happy? I want a more nuanced word than happy. Oh, I felt excited or anticipation. And then you choose that. Or you might choose three adjectives that describe emotion for how you're feeling right now. Um, if you can't get three, then just get one. And if you do it every day, the more you do it and the more you look at your emotions, the more your brain will catch on and go, oh, you want to know what we're feeling now? Ooh, all right, then I guess I can tell you. And it will become more fluid. You'll become more uh, literate in that regard. Feeling physically ill when saying no or disappointing someone, is that an emotional flashback? Yes, it's the, it's the um, emotional flashback of a, of a codependent. Daryl says, Richard, with the four Fs, which one of the responses to being terrorized is defiant, which is what a Spartan displays. That would be the fight response. And then you go and say, like toxic hero, kill me then. Uh, well, defiance would be a fight, a fight response. If it then becomes a sort of um, a masochistic submission of kill me then, then that's probably more like a freeze or a, or a flight response. But yeah, the initial defiance is, a, is of the four Fs is, is fight. Anna writes, question, what you think about me? Well, do you... Buy your own diamonds and your own rings. I mean, because otherwise it's hard for me to make a thorough assessment. Uh, 77T Adams asks, do you think EMDR works? I think it probably um, would work uh, for some people. Sometimes if they have very good rapport with their, um, with their coach or with their therapist, it is not uh, a modality that I choose to use, I don't think it's as direct. And I don't think it is as, there are things that people with CPTSD really need um, that can be uh, more laser-like focused addressed than with EMDR. Tony says, no, DMT is great. 
okay, I'll try it one day. I keep saying that. I'll try DMT, I'll try ayahuasca, and then I'll I'll know if it's great. I, I thought ayahuasca might be a bit ropey, and one of my mates thought it was a bit ropey, and then he went and tried it, and afterwards he went, yeah, it was okay, it was a bit ropey. And I went, hmm. <laughs> Sometimes these things get fetishized, that's all. And, you know, you get people who are like, oh, have you tried DMT? Have you tried ayahuasca? Have you tried DMT? Have you tried ayahuasca? And it's like, Jesus, you know. <laughs> but maybe I'll be blown away. I don't know. What's the difference between fawning and humility? Well, fawning would be a neurotic, um, non-sane response to a legitimate um, or illegitimate communication where you have no control over it and you excessively submit excessively supplicate coming usually from a place of either fear or manipulation or both humility um is a non-neurotic non-emotional flashback um approach that has more to do usually if it's true humility rather than the the, the pretense of humility that usually has more to do with like an ego less detachment from stuff from what they would what would more pompously be known as the world of form or the material plane you're just not that attached you're just not there you're not in the power games you're not you're trying to compete on that level and you're really not you're not like faking it if it's true humility then it's just but no they're they're not um they are not the same thing uh july july says how can i send zero dollars to you well what you could do july july is you could go to the Spartan Life Coach. I want to do this with a straight face. I can't. You go to the SpartanLifeCoach.com website and uh, you join the mailing list on right there on the homepage and you receive a course called How to Stop an Emotional Flashback and that will cost you zero dollars and zero cents. I do it with a moderately, a moderately straight face. The Ancient Lantern has written, Old Man Bob has left the chat. Yes, Old Man Bob. I was invited to just stand outside for a minute because he was writing some crazy stuff. It was funny, but it was distracting me. And I didn't want to hear about his monkey anymore. Um, okay. Just trying to catch up with you guys. Uh, Heather says, um, I've got the big pack special. I'm working through all this shit, never coming back. It's not fun, but I'm saying reduced emotional flashbacks. Thank you for sharing your brain. You're very welcome. Um, forgive me if I've missed this. How do you feel your own flashbacks management has succeeded for you, Richie? Um, back in 2000 and was it 17 or 16? It was 2017, I went back into um, my own uh, therapeutic process because I was, for various reasons, but one of them was I, I had become um, depressed and I'd become extremely emotionally illiterate. Um, and it was from that process that I developed the emotional literacy course. And it put me in a really, really awkward situation because I have a community of people who listen to me and who want help. And then I had, I'd sort of stumbled across it because it wasn't, I wasn't doing it to deal with emotional flashbacks and the depression 
at no point during the the i had a really good i was lucky i got a good counselor in there i was living in dublin at the time a really good guy and um it was never discussed as an emotional flashback because the guy didn't know anything about cptsd and so it never really occurred to me ironically enough that this was actually a manifestation of an emotional flashback I've never really gotten into it on this channel too deeply. I've, I've inferred it. I released a video that where, and maybe if somebody knows what the link is or knows what the title is, there's a, a hand drawing on a chalkboard that's from that period where I tried to explain via a cartoon. It's, it's like this, this, this chalkboard that draws drawings. That was like, if you let yourself become emotionally illiterate, your experience of emotions becomes corrupted and you're actually no longer experiencing emotions. You're experiencing like a calcified remnant of an emotion. And this also is part of the emotional flashback. This also is part of my own personal hypothesis. This is like running with the ball of the Pete Walker um, CPTSD work and then, and then adding my own ideas to it, my own sort of layers to it. So emotional flashbacks, massively caused by the inner critic and the superego and we need to look at that way more carefully and secondly there's something there seems to me to be a system it's part of the engine i like big dumb concepts like like a mechanic you have an engine and part of the engine is is not functioning and we need to get in there and we need to fix it and with emotional literacy, when you become very emotionally illiterate, illiterate, you become depressed. And then you go, well, hang on a second. Isn't that, wouldn't that freeze the emotional flashbacks? Because there's no, it's like the fuel in the engine has all gotten very, very too thick to flow. And actually the opposite happens because an emotional flashback It's called an emotional flashback, but it's not its not real emotion. It's like um, when we say confusingly, uh, or, or not we say, it is said in psychology by many people, narcissistic personality disorder is a shame-based personality disorder. And everybody goes, they don't have any shame. And it's like, yeah, but in this context, this is shame that is like, if the person in front of you who has NPD is 50, then this shame is 46 years old. And it's it's almost, it's pretty gross. It's like in the digestive system when you become constipated. That which is should have gone past through you, through the fueling system of the human body, is now stuck. The longer it is stuck, it doesn't just um, harmlessly linger in the body it becomes toxic to the body and it freezes you know if anybody has taken painkillers for a long time or knows anybody who's taken strong painkillers like morphine or codeine one of the side effects is that it freezes your uh, digestive system and causes massive blockage which can kill you it's extremely dangerous uh, it can, well, it's not likely to kill you don't panic if you know somebody who's just a bit constipated because they took morphine but you know it, it can actually, I, I had a friend who that's what, he was very, very sick, but that was what was finally um, what he passed away from was the effect of the morphine on his um, digestive system. Um, this is what I'm talking about. So to answer your question, 2007 
16 uh when i was in dublin and i went through that process and i was like okay what the, what the what is this i had to try and figure out what it was and then i was in a situation where i had a solution which was the emotional literacy course but it was a solution that nobody wanted imagine you have a medicine for an illness but you have to take it in a way that is so disgusting and painful and unpleasant that you don't want to now nobody wants to admit this but i see the horror in people's eyes when i do seminars or, or when i'm talking to people and i go i'm gonna i'm gonna have you explore your emotions they're appalled they loathe it the emotional literacy course is not a well-liked well-popular course listen the people who've done it and went through it will be like this is amazing they'll be as evangelical as i, I deliberately make myself less evangelical about it because I know that that produces resistance. So I'll always just casually reference it. But in terms of recovery, like you would be doing yourself, everybody, you will do yourself such a big fucking favor. Um, there are situations that I have been in post 2017 where I, no, you just have to trust me. I know it would have induced an emotional flashback, a major one, massively triggering situations. There are certain things like I know myself, like this is my job, I have to. And I know if this happens and this happens and this happens, it can really set me off. And one of my worst uh, emotional flashback responses was a fight response, was a response of aggression. Like I would want to find somebody and kill them. Gabor Mate spoke about this recently. He was like, you know, oh, I feel like I'm a pretty well-recovered person, except occasionally for the homicidal rage. God bless him. <laughs> he gets homicidal rages sometimes. I'm like deeply sympathetic to that. They didn't come up. And even at times I'd be like, I wonder if I can trigger myself. I wonder if, like, there's a situation... It doesn't matter, like, something is not fair, somebody is abusing somebody, blah, 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 blah. This would usually be me just going through the fucking roof, and then it's just not there. It's a strange experience. It's not always, um, most of the time it's very, very pleasant, but sometimes it's odd, because I feel like, oh, I don't, who the fuck am I? <laughs> who am I now without rage? Because I lived with rage for so long. And I think that overcoming the emotional flashback of the fight response was one of the factors that actually sent me into a little bit of uh, a depressed tailspin. So if you just reduce the emotional flashbacks, but you don't work on your emotional literacy, you're only working on one part of the engine. The engine is misfiring in multiple places, in multiple ways. I think this is why, this is why people don't want to talk about CPTSD. It's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Every therapist was terrified of post-traumatic stress disorder. Now you've got something that's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. What's the next one? Super dead hard, really hard to deal with stress disorder. It's a, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a very, very complicated thing. Um, but for me personally, that alone uh, would be huge. Just like that, 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 that fight element it's like being it's like being removed and it got it got taken out completely inside of a year okay you go that's not very impressive there's people doing this system of therapy and this system of alter and they say it takes a weekend and i'm like well that's what they say but i ain't ever seen any short 
fast solutions to long-term deep-seated uh, trauma that's, that's, that's based in, uh, in, in childhood. So I was really, really happy with that. I say, yeah, I don't know, man. Like the, the big 2017, between May and November of that year, things changed for me massively, massively, massively. Um, so I don't want to sit here and say I don't get any emotional flashbacks at all anymore because I've got this horrible feeling that if I do, I'll wake up tomorrow and have one. Um, but I dare I say this publicly, I don't get emotional flashbacks anymore. I'm waiting for something to strike me down. I don't think I do. I get, I have moods. I have moods. There are, there are emotions and they're not all positive and I can get pissed off and I can get anxious. And, but the, the, uh, how should they put it? I was really bad. Like I couldn't go to the shops without, I would shake, I would sweat, I would, uh, just daily life was, was, was really, really exhausting. The only thing that I think recently has come through and it's come through the same traumatic response as the emotional flashback system was what I was talking about earlier where I felt sick. I felt nauseous because I was pushing against the conditioning of codependency. Now, I didn't experience that as an emotional flashback, but I know enough about psychology to know when you're breaking a major taboo. And I know myself enough to be like, there's, some, there's something's happening here. Something is going, something is, because I don't get, I said I felt nauseous. I don't get nauseous. I don't, that's not a thing for me. Getting nauseous is not like, <laughs> I, think, I think three years ago I was in Sweden, I ate a dodgy kebab. <laughs> wow. Three years, four years ago, four years ago. Whew. Oh, damn. That was some violence, but uh, it doesn't happen. But I didn't experience that as an emotional flashback. I'm assuming that's the tra that's a traumatic response that's been somatized. That's actually I'm feeling it as a physical illness. Um, but it's a it's a stress response to breaking to breaking the rules. Um, but other than that, as speaking not as a coach, speaking as a human being with a similar problem, um, that is, I have plenty of things to worry about. I have plenty of things in my life that need dealing with and, and that take up my time and all the rest of it. But I used to be, I was, it got to the point where I was nearly a shot in uh, because it was so bad. And that's just not part of my life anymore at all. And so again, touching wood, hope to not get struck down. I actually don't think uh, I get emotional flashbacks anymore. Um, I think that that part of my life is, is dealt with, you never know, you never know, you never know. I mean, like yeah, there, but for the grace of God at, at this point until maybe some major traumatic event, or I, I really don't know it. It's certainly not something I'm nervous of, not at all, because even if they came back, I did so much work. I'm, I'm a real crazy person, really, really crazy. So I will work at something over and I'll put the reps in. I'll put the reps in like a, an obsessive lunatic. So I'm not scared if it comes back or I start to feel like it's coming back, I know exactly what to do. And woe betide uh, any emotional flashbacks that come back because I'll just smash them. I would just absolutely smash them. However, 
the codependency issue, I think it's still there. I, I That does concern me. That I am anxious about. We're talking about my personal, you've asked me about my personal recovery. That concerns me. That concerns me. Um, I am not confident uh, that I'm not still making decisions, micro decisions, some conscious, some unconscious, based on, uh, on, on codependent tendencies. I'm working hard to try to shake it, but with all due humility, um, this is how I've been living my life. You know, since I've been conscious, since I've been aware, is in a codependent frame. So that's why I'm talking like 2019 is the year for doing it. It's going to take it's going to take a year. It's going to take more than a year, I think, uh, to really, really clear that up. Depending on how hard I'm prepared to work at it and, and what I'm prepared to do, but I'm taking steps. Uh, I'm going to finish. One of the things that I want to add around 2019 is to uh, I, I want it. There's a lot I need to say about this, but I'll just finish with this. Let's start looking beyond individualized pathology. Let's start, let's start breaking the habit of pathologizing everything. Many of the problems that we face are in fact social and economic. Many of the problems that we face are cultural. Many of the problems that we face are not in you. They're outside of you. And you, you know, if you feel anxious and depressed, it could just be that things are a bit shit. So that's also something that I wanna, after this year, I want to. I want to start looking at that as well. It's a. It's a. It's a. Um, it's not a great thing to always be looking at the individual. I. I think there is. There's an upper limit to how far you can take that, and it's part of the. Um, the science envy. Uh, the the joke in psychology campuses is uh, psychology suffers from physics envy. Haha, <laughs> like penis envy, physics envy. Secretly, every psychologist wants to be wearing a white coat. Staring into a microscope, that's that's the joke. Um, certainly, the psychology that we have today is tainted by the drive to see problems as like, like, as in, in the model of a virus in the human, in the individual. And I actually think that that, that is actually quite rare because we are tribal creatures, because we have tribal consciousness, because... And not in any mystical woo way, in a very, very practical, down-to-earth way that can easily be uh, described without going outside of, of Western parameters, modern Western parameters. We have group think. We have group consciousness. It's plainly evident. You just have to walk around and look. So we do ourselves a disservice by looking in places where the problem is not. Because if you, if you don't find it, you'll make it up. You'll be like, oh... This is, you feel this way because of childhood trauma. And it's like, maybe you feel this way because, you know, for example, in 2008, there was the worst financial crisis in the history of human banking occurred. And we're not out of it. We never, nobody talks about it. We never recovered. The world changed. Your whole, our whole coordinates changed. And so... You know, people are talking to me and I'm talking to them and it's part of my life and my own personal experience as well about things like dating and relationships and all that. And and I just think, you know, we really do ourselves a disservice if we don't put economics on the table, if we don't put 
you know, things like marketing and advertising and cultural trends and politics, it's all got to go on the table. It can't just be all about us. So maybe to wrap it up, I'd frame it like this. At the level of all of you as individuals, myself included, it would be nice if we had something that was moving towards a, 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 a total uh, rehabilitation from codependency. And I do believe that that is possible. But also by the end of this year, that we'd be looking beyond the paradigm of modern psychology as it's all the individual to, to, what's, to what's outside. I do sometimes, I do sometimes, I always have, but I want to do it more because I don't want to feed into a disingenuous, faulty worldview that suggests if you have a problem, it's either in your body, in your brain, or in your childhood. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. It just isn't. It, it can't all be you. And it's if if we set up the game so that it, we have to make it all you, uh, we're doing ourselves a disservice, and we're doing you know you a disservice. We catch up, and then uh, let's wrap it up. Okay. Thank you, guys. Um, appreciate that. I'm just reading, reading here. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, ladies and gents, thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, for your attention. I hope that that was useful. You fell down, all the way down. Um, and uh, if you have any further questions about anything I brought up, uh, you can just mention in the comments, and I'll go through the comments later and have a little look. And uh, that's it. I look forward to being to you soon. Cheers.